Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. I'm so glad to see you here on Easter Sunday. You guys look wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. When you came in, you had to move some stuff off the seat to sit down, and inside that envelope was a Connect card. It looks like this. If you're a first or second time guest with us, if you'll give us your name and home address, and if we can read it, we'll send you in the mail a free gift. If you're a first time guest, that gift is a certificate for some free Chick-fil-A food. It's our way of saying thanks for being with us today. And then we'll use this card at the end of the message in just a couple minutes to take some next steps. We think that you should come to church not to just be stirred or to check a box somewhere and say, I went, but to be challenged to take a step in your spiritual journey. And so this whole service, in fact, our whole church is designed to help you do just that. Now, the other thing you got when you came in was a little piece of paper, a little folder. It looks like this. Inside is your message notes. And when I get started here in a second, you can follow along. But on the front, for folks who call this church home, if you are a guest, you can ignore this part right here. But if you call this church home, you know that we're in the middle of our Easter offering to take care of some things that are very near and dear to our heart. And I have a couple photos I wanted to show you. If you're our guest, maybe this will tell you a little bit about the heartbeat of this place. But while we're holding services here, uh, accounting for time change all the way halfway around the world in a city called Kerala, India, is a place that we affectionately call Four Corners India. It's a church in an orphanage that for the last eight years our church has been heavily invested in. And um, we have about 45 girls and a few boys and some pastors in that area whose food, education, clothing, and shelter are paid for by this church. And over the years, we've developed some property there to house girls, and we're preparing to build a building for boys. We're in the middle of that right now. And our Easter offering, if you give today, will go to this. But I thought maybe for Four Corners folks, you'd like to see a couple pictures. So here's the first one of some of the girls. This is our campus. That's the building that we've been developing in the back. This is some of the girls in the front there. Um, And uh, a few months ago, Pastor Will and I went over to see our work there and celebrate with them the awesome thing that God is doing. Let me give you a little nicer picture of this campus coming up here. If you'll look at this next photo here. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place, and these girls were rescued. Most of them would have ended up in the sex trade, but because of your generosity, they're here in this place. But there is a bit of a challenge, and the reason we're raising money for them is in the next photo you're going to see, that is a corrugated metal roof, and that roof needs to be replaced. And the state of Kerala has said to our organization there that if you keep the corrugated roof on, we're going to repeal your license to operate the orphanage, so we're going to help them do that. And so if you give in the offering today, it'll go to replace that roof. But that's not the only place that our offering is going to be going. We also are starting a special needs ministry here, one of several initiatives here. And our Easter offering, again, for those folks who call their church home, is going to go and help take care of some folks so that in just a few weeks, we'll have a special place for kids who have different kinds of needs than folks who are enjoying our programming in the other area. And so I wanted to let you guys know that we are well on our way, and at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to be a part of that, all right? Now, I can't hardly think about Easter without thinking about the trip that a man and his wife and mother-in-law took to the Holy Land. While they were there, his mother-in-law passed away, and he goes to the undertaker, and the undertaker told him that for $5,000, you can have your mother-in-law shipped home, or for just $150, you can leave her here and have her buried in the Holy Land. And he thought about it for a minute, and he said, I think we'll go ahead and ship her home. And the undertaker said, why would you spend $5,000 when you could just spend $150 and leave her here? He said, well, I don't know much about the Bible and stuff, but I heard that there was a man 2,000 years ago that died, and he was buried here, and he came back to life after three days, and I can't take that chance. So 
I don't know how you get Easter jokes in, but that's what, all right? Well, I'm excited to kick off a brand new message series with you today called Fixer Upper. And uh, I'm going to read for us very quickly, though, the story of the resurrection from Luke's gospel. It will be on the screens behind me. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Here's what our Bible says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember, remember. He is not here. He is risen. And for those of you that come from more liturgical backgrounds, a more formal church maybe than this one looks right now, when I say the phrase, he is risen, you know what to say. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Pray with me, please. Father, I want to thank you that you are in fact risen. You are not a dead God, but you are alive. I want to thank you that you gave your life on a cross, but you didn't stay there. You were put in a tomb and you didn't stay there. But you have been resurrected, and because of that, everything is made new. The resurrection has changed everything. Father, be with our words today. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can follow along if you like in your message notes. I want to make a few statements before we really get into the first of our message series called Fix Your Upper. All right? Now, what I have here is some tools. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to hold power tools. I'm not really sure what I'm doing sometimes, but they tell me if I'm not careful, I could cut a finger off on this one. Let's see. Yeah. And evidently, it was used recently because I didn't expect that dust to come up and get in my eyes like that. You have to practice this stuff more before you use them. This is a really cool power saw right here. And we're doing this message series called Fixer Upper because the truth is, is that when the resurrection happened, everything changed. And it's a decent metaphor. In fact, it's a metaphor that Jesus used to talk about the life he wants to build in you. He likens it to a building or to a house. One of his favorite parables, one of my favorite parables that he tells is the story about the people who wanted to build a house. And so some people build a house on the sand. And when the storms came, and the storms always come in life, and when the storms came, the winds blew, and the waves beat on the house because it was built on sand, the under uh, land underneath the house kind of eroded away, and the house fell flat. And then there were wise people who built their house on a rock. And when the winds came, and the winds always come, and when the storms howled, and they always howl in life, the house on the rock stood firm. And Jesus told that story to say that basically, if you'll build your life on the truth of God's word revealed in Jesus, you'll have a house, you'll have a life that will stand. And our thought today was that it being Easter Sunday, what we wanted to do was to talk about the life that God wants to build in you. But there are a couple of realities that we have to have in mind or else the gospel doesn't make sense. Now there's a lot of power that you have in life. You and I have a lot of power. There's a lot of things you can make a decision to do and you can do it. You can make a decision to lose weight, and you can do that. You can make a decision to get fit, and if you'll work a plan and stick with it, you can get fit. You can make a decision to change jobs. You can make a decision to get married. There's a lot of power you have in life to make decisions. But when it comes to the core message of the Bible, 
There isn't a single person in this room that has the power on their own to grab hold of all that God has for them. The journey that God has for you, the journey that God wants for you, the life that he wants for you, the house he's building with your life can't be done in your own power. It requires a power outside of yourself. So our first statement in our message notes is this, is that you don't have the power to make over your life by yourself on spiritual terms. You can change your body by changing your diet and your workout routine. You can change your financial destiny by saving instead of spending, getting different jobs and pushing yourself. But you cannot change your spiritual destiny or even your spiritual health by yourself. That's the whole reason God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. This gift that we could not earn, we could not live up to, we couldn't replace by our own efforts, this gift of Jesus would change everything. Now, here you are in a church, and I don't know what you think about church and what you have in mind, what your experiences were, what you think about church people or pastors. I find that there's a whole gamut of a whole range of things that people think about when they think about church and religion and that sort of stuff. But I want to make something crystal clear to all of us for just a second. That religion and religious behavior can make you nice, but only Jesus can make you new. That's your second blank. Religion and religious behavior can make you a nice person, but according to the story of the Bible, according to our New Testament, the whole reason that Easter is so special it's because only Jesus can make your life new, a new life, a brand new building, a new way of engaging the world around you, a new mentality, a new heart, a washed and cleaned up soul. And it's at the resurrection, it's at the resurrection that God's power to make things new is on full display. You and I don't have the power to do that by ourselves. We celebrate Easter. As Christians celebrate Easter. We celebrate the resurrection day because it's on that day more than any other. We recall our powerlessness. We recall our weakness. And we recall the great gift of God that was powerful to change our lives. So you're, you're looking at a bunch of people around here who are Christians who are on a journey. We're not perfect. We don't live up to all that God has called us to. Most of us, like myself, have a long way to go to really be at the place where God wants us to be. So we don't perfectly reflect all that is God. But one thing we have in common is, is we know that Jesus gave his life for imperfect people. And our imperfection, our brokenness, our old thing that needs to be made new was such a big deal to him that he pulled out all the stops. He loved us that much. And it changed everything. In your Bible, the Apostle Paul writes several letters to churches that were contemporary to his time. And he wrote a letter to the church at Corinth. He wrote several. And in our Bible, the second epistle, the second letter to the church at Corinth Paul talks about this newness from Jesus. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So there's a way of looking at people, and you only see one side of them. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we used to think about Christ in a very simple, monolithic way. But we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. There were these moments when Paul would write that he would just burst almost into song and he would say things like, I used to be like this, but because of Jesus, I'm like this. I used to think about the world this way, and I had it pretty figured out. But I don't think about the world that way anymore because Jesus has made things new. And I used to look at people. This is the big one. I used to look at people, and I'd pigeonhole them, and I'd have them figured out. And I used to look at people through worldly lenses, only what I could see on the outside and what I could piece together. But when Jesus came, he changed people, and he made all things. In fact, he says, if you're in Jesus, everything is new. One more time. Religious behavior can make you nice, but Jesus can make you new. It changes everything. A few years ago, I was away on a trip down at a conference with some pastors, and I had complained to my wife about our bedroom. Now, I don't know about you men, but I, in my life, I've spent most of my adult married life in bedrooms that were clearly designed by women and for women. There were flowers everywhere. It was very pastel-y. But here's the clearest indication it was for women. There were 45 pillows on our bed. <laughs> There were 45. I don't know why you need 45 pillows on your bed, but they were everywhere. And I'd go to make the bed, and I'd get tired because I never could put the pillows in the right place. I'd hide pillows behind the chairs in the room. We had, so one day I was talking to Jill, and I just kind of kept, you know, I don't really enjoy the bedroom scene. I love the bedroom. Don't enjoy the scene, all right? Don't enjoy the scene there. And she's like, hey, I really? I'm like, I really? It's just very feminine, hon. And I mean, it's fine if you want to leave it that way. So I go away. And while I was gone, Jill got some of her friends together, and in about three days, they completely changed the look and feel of the bedroom. We went from pastels to kind of some dark browns and some blues. We actually got rid of about half the pillows. Now there's only 15 pillows on the bed. <laughs> and it was much more masculine feeling. They got together, and they you know, took some saws and did a little bit of cutting and paint, pulled down some wallpaper. Who does wallpaper anymore, right? And... Uh, in just a few days, they were able to completely change the room. So I come home, and the kids and Jill and the friends are so excited to show me what they've done. And so I come in, and I, and I saw through their effort, not just the room and the work and the skill and the time and the money, saw that, but I saw the love and the joy they took in rebuilding a room for me so that I could enjoy it more. I don't know if you thought about it in a while or not, but that's exactly the heart that your heavenly father has for you. Through great pain, through difficulty, it certainly wasn't a cheap gift. God wanted to rebuild lives, your life. He took some time, significant effort and planning, very costly, so that you and I could have new life through Christ. This process of building a life kind of begins in a moment. A decision gets made. And in fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to make a decision like that, for God to be more a part of your life. But then it takes some time. Since it's Easter, I wanted to, for the next few minutes, kind of walk you through a special three-day period in the life of Jesus. There's an old sermon preached by a very um, uh, skilled and amazing orator. His name is S.M. Lockridge. He was a pastor and 
Guys like me who do what I do, we look up to guys like him for their ability to spin words and to paint a word picture. He talks about the the journey, the three-day journey from Good Friday, which wasn't good at all for Jesus, but great for us, all the way up to the Sunday. And I want you to hear his words, and then I want us to unpack the power of a three-day makeover. Take a listen and turn to the screens. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's are sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like Sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scar. They crown him with thorns. But they don't know that Sundays come. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit's burden. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning. People are sinning. And evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's come. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laugh. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard. And a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. 
Friday is the day of uh, destruction. So in the Friday that we call good, which was really not good for Jesus, other than it fulfilled his purpose, it was the day when his body was torn down, torn apart, ripped, bruised, and battered. It reminds me of this uh, sledgehammer here. If you've ever done a, a remodeled job, usually the first part is the demo part. Now, I don't know what it is about me, but I, I like that part. I don't know if it's because I'm not good at the other part, but in the demo part, you give me a sledgehammer and I can, I can do some damage. But you got to be careful with these things. I mean, you can do a lot more damage. I was in our first house doing a lot of remodel work with my wife, and I hadn't done much of that stuff. And we started tearing out a room, getting ready to do a little expansion, and I got carried away. And what should have been just one or two two-by-fours ended up being about six, ended up costing me about 700 extra dollars because if you're not careful with, the, <laughs> with one of these, you can cost yourself a lot of extra effort. Now, I'm talking about houses and Jesus. Well, let's talk about your, your life for just a second. It's possible today that you came here and you're not fully put together yet. I, I know that's true for me. And if God were to come and have a conversation with you over coffee... He'd listen to you. He'd talk with you. You'd know that he was interested and they had a heart for you, not against you. That would be obvious. But then at some point, the conversation may turn to what he wants to accomplish in your life, what part he wants to rebuild and make new. And behind that mentality is a deep love and concern for you. He's for you, not against you. He's so for you. In fact, it's been said this way, that he's so for you that if you could open up God's billfold, his wallet, you'd discover that he has your picture in it. And if you'd go to his refrigerator, he'd have your picture on his refrigerator. The Bible says it this way, that he has literally inscribed on his hands your name. That's how much he's for you. And behind that story of wanting to work new in your life is a love and a compassion for you. But almost always, there's a season, there's a day one where some demolition needs to have happen in your life, where some things that are there that need to not be there. And on a spiritual level, if you go all the way to the edge on the spiritual side, the Bible says that all of us were born with sin. It's not a very popular word these days, but... It's hard to understand the meaning of Easter without understanding sin. Sin is an attitude that says, I'm going to do it my way. It basically says to God, no, God, we're going to do it my way. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that attitude, that rebellion, that selfishness, that ego is connected to sin. And Jesus came in part, in big part, to deal with the sin problem in all of our lives. And I bet you most everybody in this room has lived long enough to know what I'm talking about when I talk about sin. I'm not talking about somebody's list of rules and obligations. I'm talking about inside your head, you know that there are moments in your life when you were just about you, where ego was run unchecked, where there was a me-ism at work. And there were good things you knew you should do, you did not do. And there were bad things to avoid, and you did not avoid them. The Bible says the sin problem has affected all of us. And on Friday, God took a sledgehammer to sin. 
And in doing that, he, in effect, takes a sledgehammer to the parts of our lives that need to be eradicated and removed. In fact, it's very difficult to build something new without first getting this old removed. And so in your message notes, when we talk about the three-day makeover, day one for us is Friday. That's your blank. And Friday is analogous. I'm going to give you a word that's not very fun. It's analogous to pain. Pain. This process with the sledge can hurt a little bit. But if you're going to experience all that God has for you, you're going to have to face some sometimes painful realities about you and the life that you're living. I've never gone through a season of growth where I didn't experience some pain. Now, when I was a kid, I tried to avoid pain at all costs. I hated pain. But my parents knew something about some kinds of pain that I didn't understand. Like, for instance, when I was a kid and you got sick and you had to go to the doctor, the typical response was you'd get a shot. Now, they don't do much of that anymore. And so I'd be sick and my parents would say, let's go to the doctor. And I knew what that meant. Pain. I don't want that. So I, you know, scream and yell and pitch a fit. And, but my parents knew that there are some kinds of pain, though not enjoyable. The pain isn't fun. It's good for you. Jesus says that if we're going to come to him and experience the life that he has for us, there's a certain stumbling block. There's a certain pain that we have to engage, that we are, in fact, sinners. It's easy to see it in everybody else. It's hard to see it and admit it in yourself, that we will go our own way. We will make it about us. And even if we can go an extended period making it about others and not about us, it's almost impossible. I've never been able to do it. And if you can, you're a unique individual. I've never been able to make it all about others. It's at the core of my life. I'm ever struggling against a selfishness and an ego and a rebellion against God's design. It's not that I'm altogether bad. It's just that in me, there's stuff that has to be cut away, knocked out, gone. And I've discovered I'm powerless to do it by myself. So on Friday, when Jesus hangs on the cross, it's there that God does the deep work of cutting and removing and demolishing in our lives so that he can build something new. And some of us have been on spiritual journeys, and in that season of demolition, we got tired, we got frustrated, we lost hope. We forgot that at the end of the pain, there was a joy coming in the morning. We were very aware of Friday, but like S.M. Locker had said, we would forget that Sunday was coming. And I bet you in this room there are a handful of people that used to be very engaged spiritually, and you're not anymore. And at the core of that possibly is the reality that the pain of the journey sometimes with God as he cuts sometimes just feels unbearable. Today I want to call you back and Remind you that in the middle of painful stuff that, A, Jesus is there and he went through it and he knows what it feels like. He was tempted in every way we have and the pain that he bore so that he could connect with us is more extreme than anybody else in this room has had to go through. And yet he kept his eye on the prize because he knew what was at stake. And maybe today you need to be reminded that Jesus is in fact not here to simply tear your life down to make you feel guilty. We're certainly not here for that. But 
to get what he has for us, sometimes you got to pass through a little bit of pain. And the writer of Hebrews words it this way in your message notes. Since Jesus went through suffering and temptation, he knows what it is like when we suffer and are tempted, and he is able to help us. So what do we do on Fridays? Let me give you a couple things from the life of Jesus. If you're going through a Friday right now and you're feeling the cut and the, the, the blow of the hammer, you can rely on some friends and on God. I can't think about the story of Jesus without going to that moment before it all began and Jesus is around his disciples and he's really wrestling with the journey ahead of him. And he doesn't really want to do it. And so the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, on your message notes, that Jesus took his disciples with him to to Gethsemane where he was going to pray. And he says to them, stay here with me while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John, kind of his best friends, a little bit further in. And here's what the Bible describes him having gone through. He was filled with anguish and deep distress, and he said to them, My heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. Just sit here and watch with me. Then Jesus took a few more steps, and he fell to the ground and prayed. At Jesus' darkest hour, there were two places he went for refuge, to close friends and to his heavenly Father. In Mark, Mark kind of continues the story. Here's what he says. Jesus fell face down on the ground, and he prayed that if possible, he would not have to suffer the pain ahead of him. And he prayed, Abba, Father. That word Abba is the Aramaic word, probably the language Jesus spoke, and it simply means dad. Dad, Father, I know you can do all things, and I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine, to be done. If you're in pain, I want to give you three things that you can pray. You find them in Jesus' words in Mark. He says, Father, I know. So the first thing you can pray is you can affirm God's power. If today you're in a season of pain, I want to challenge you to call out to God and say, God, I know you can do all things. You have the power to do whatever you want to do. My problem is not bigger than you. You're bigger than my problem. My mountain isn't bigger than you. You're bigger than my mountain. You can affirm God's power. I love the second thing Jesus does that a lot of times people don't think you can do in church, but if Jesus did it, my goodness, you can do it too. The second thing is that be honest in your prayers if you're going through a season of pain. Be honest. Maybe you grew up in a religious environment where you didn't think you could be honest, and I'm sorry that happened to you. It should never have happened to you. That's not the way Jesus engages life in his example. He's not what he calls us to. You can affirm God's power, and you can be honest. You see it when Jesus said, I don't want this. I don't want this thing in front of me. I'm tired of the pain. I don't want to go through this. And you can afford to be honest if you'll give yourself the luxury of being honest. God, I don't really like what I'm going through. This is not the path I wanted to be on. This is not where I want to go. I don't like how life looks from this vantage point. When you pray like that to your heavenly Father, you're praying like Jesus. He affirmed God's power. He got honest, but then he ends it by confessing his trust. He confesses his trust. He says, I know what I want, but I don't want what I want. I want what you want. This is the ultimate, I think, breakthrough moment in spiritual and life development. I know what I want. So here's what I want. I want Big Macs and pizza and extra steak, and fries with cheese on it, and ranch dressing. I want 
breakfast casseroles and potatoes. I could keep going, guys. I'm so hungry, it's not even funny. Like, that's the easiest part of the message all day right there. Like, I, I just got in a zone and I could keep. That's what I want. But I know that what I want is not what I want want. You with me? Like, I want to just get my way all the time. I want to go my own way. But when I pause and I think about what I really want, and that's what Jesus does. He says, here's what I want. I don't want to go through this. But then he says, but God, I trust you to know what I really need. And so what I really want, catch this, what I really want is to want what you want. What I really want is to want what you want. I'm just not there yet. And if that's true for you at all, maybe God needs to do a little cutting, a little hammering, a little chipping away. That's what happens on Friday. Friday can be painful, but remember, Sunday really is going to come. But from Friday to Sunday, there's a Saturday. So day two, Saturday, we're going to call it the day of confusion. If you're like me and you do like to piddle around the house and do some construction work, you know that there's this point in every job, usually after you've got done tearing everything down and it's all cleaned up and now you're ready to reconstruct for me in every job, there's this moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already tired of this job. I've got it all ripped out. Now I've got to keep going. It's similar to my parenting journey. Like they're so adorable and cute and awesome. And then somewhere around middle school, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of these kids. <laughs> I've gone through it in my marriage. Like Jill's, my, I'm telling you, my wife's awesome. Like between us, you want to be her friend. She's much better than I am. But there have been moments where I'm like, I'm tired of this marriage. There have been moments in my spiritual life, even as a pastor of this church, where I've said, I love this place. And I love my walk with Jesus. Then there are moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure if I want to keep doing this. That's part of the journey of rebuilding. The disillusionment, the confusion that comes. If you've ever had a new job and you're all fired up, what happens in about three weeks, you realize, all right, the people at this job are a whole lot like the people at the last job in some real ways. Like, evidently, people are people no matter where you go. But at every beginning, there's excitement, but almost always there's a little bit of lag. Day of confusion is the day, by the way, where you have to go back to the blueprint. We're in the middle of construction here at the church. And uh, from time to time, somebody will come in and say, now, what are we doing today? I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. So I take them over to the table, and we unroll the blueprints. You go back and you look. It's a pretty tough season to be in when you've started the work and you haven't experienced its full benefit yet. That, that's part of what life with Jesus is like. I mean, if you're with Jesus, you're saved. You're just not all the way done yet. Like, you're not in heaven yet. And I always get worried when pastors start preaching about heaven and they get all excited because I feel like, you know, I do want to go. I just don't want to go right now, you know? Like, if you're preaching about heaven in a way you're going to get a group to go up today, I'm not going with you yet. But one day I want to get to heaven. I hope you do too. But between here and heaven, there's just life. And I have found that I have to regularly go back to the blueprint and remember, where are we going? What are we doing here? Well, look at the confusion that happened to the disciples of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is going through those final days of his life, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, before the night's over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. And at that point, all the disciples abandoned Jesus and ran away. Now, I skipped about 20 verses. The story is told, but from verse 31 to 56, 
Jesus' words come true. They are confused. So what do you do on a Saturday? Well, you rehearse God's promises. You go back to the blueprint. God has said that if you'll commit your life to him, it will not be wasted. He's not going to waste your life. That you'll not be more committed to him than he'll be to you. That when you turn towards him, you're actually allowing him to build a new life. And that process, look, look my favorite verse in the Bible, one of them. One of my favorite is that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. On the Saturday of confusion, the challenge is, is to remember that you're on a journey. You're on a journey. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. You want to have all that God has for you? Run to Jesus and stick with him. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said about life with God. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I'll be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, and your Savior. If you're going through a season of confusion, it might be time to go back to the blueprint and remember what God says. It might be time to open the Bible again. It might be time to put yourself in an environment where you're regularly reminded of the love and the truth of God. Find your way again. Now, Fridays and Saturdays are difficult. But Sundays are coming. Sunday is day three, the day of joy. The day of joy, that's the message blank. Sunday, the day of joy. So what do you do to make it from your Friday to your Sunday? How do you get to Sunday? Well, we have to do what Jesus did. And it's hard. It's going to be easy for me to say, but it's difficult. It goes back to the first statement I made when we got into the message directly. You have a lot of power, but you don't have all the power you need to do all that God wants to accomplish in your life. So if you're going to make it from Friday to Sunday, you're going to have to learn, like I'm learning, to rely on God's power and not your own. I mean, salvation, getting saved, getting reborn, starting life with Christ, beginning to follow Jesus, however you want to say it, is really all about acknowledging, I can't do it, God. I can't save myself. So I'm going to have to trust you to do it. In John chapter 11, the writer writes, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they're going to live again. And I'll give them eternal life for believing in me, and they'll never perish. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. It is that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the proof that God has the power to rebuild any part of your life and to take that sinful heart and wash it white as snow. When Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, both. It's hard to have resurrection power without walking the journey that God wants you on. And when you're walking the journey that God wants you on, sometimes it's difficult and hard, but it's in that place that his power can be revealed. So if you're in a marriage that isn't all that you want it to be and you're hoping God will show up, and help you there. He has the power. He's bigger. And he'll take you on a journey that has both joy and challenges. That's his plan for you. 
And in the challenges, he's working, he's growing to make things new. He's getting you ready for the new place he's taking you to. It's a new you that's ready for the new place. And he does this with your spiritual life. He gives you, the metaphor is, he takes out a heart of stone and he gives you a soft heart of flesh that's able to have a connection with him. He changes you from the inside out. It's a new you for a new relationship. So if any of your lives are like mine and you need a little fixing upping, that's why we're calling it fixer upper, if it needs a little bit of that, it's about Jesus coming alongside in power and you and I sticking with him long enough to see the new thing develop. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I have about five of those I've referenced today, is in Romans chapter 10. And I'm going to offer it to you as a life-changing prayer you can pray. And you can pray this prayer if you've never received Christ as your Savior. You've never made a decision to let him be the Lord or the ruler of your life. And you can pray this prayer if you have as a reminder that he really has the power to take you where you probably really want to go if you'll stop and think about it for just a moment. It may not be where you want to go, but it's where you want to want to go. And when he takes you there, I want you to know that he has the power to keep you, that nothing you commit to him will be wasted. So again, Paul writes to the Roman church and he says these words, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you'll be saved. And for those people who've never committed their life to Jesus, this is kind of like a one sentence. Well, how do you begin a life? Well, there it is. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is, he's in charge. He's God. I'm not. And you believe in your heart that what God provided in the death and resurrection of Jesus is sufficient for you to have a relationship with God, that your works can't do it, but Jesus' work can do it. That those two ingredients, I need a Savior because I'm not God, and Jesus is the right path, those two things can connect you to God. And that happens for the first time you pray a prayer like that, but for me, it happens over and over again. I'll come to things in life, God, I got to remember, you're God and I'm not, and you have me on a journey. And I'm on a Friday, but you have a Sunday for me. I'm stuck on a Saturday, and I've lost my way a little bit, but you have a Sunday for me. You're God and I'm not. And I confess that you are the Lord of this universe and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I believe the work that you've done. I believe the power that you have. I believe what you have accomplished is good enough for me. That I can't do it on my own, but you can. This is why Christians celebrate Easter. Because millions of people around the world today and in the past, and should the Lord not come soon, for years to come... They will experience the transforming power of Jesus to change their lives. And God will take them on a journey where one day, Sunday will come, and they'll take off the hard hat because the job's done. They're on a journey, they're working, but there'll come a day when it's done, and Jesus has accomplished the work. For most of us, that's going to happen when we go to heaven. But the in-between, he's working on us, and I just want to encourage you. To hold on to Easter, not just today, but every day, because it is the proof that while we don't have the power, he does. And don't give yourself simply to religious exercise, which can make you nice. Give yourself to Jesus, because he can make you new. At this point, would you do me a favor and grab out your Connect card? It looks like this. You filled it out perhaps earlier in the service. 
I want to give you an opportunity to take a few, a few next steps so that we're not just hearing something and being stirred, but perhaps we're going to start walking and get changed. Next step A today says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. So if you're in a place in life where you haven't yet given your life over to him, you can do that right now. You can say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask you to take the pen and check next step A and the offering buckets come by in a moment, put it in there. I'm going to pray with you, give you a chance to say to God what this verse said. God, you're God and I'm not. I believe that Jesus died and rose again and I trust the work Jesus did to secure my relationship to my heavenly father. Or next step B today, I'm choosing to be baptized. So if you want to be baptized, have questions about baptism, we'll answer those. You check it, put it in the offering bucket. That begins the conversation. Next week, you want to be here for our baptism service. You're going to love it. Next step C says this. It says, my family could use some prayers. Please pray for us. So if that's you, if you'll check it, you can tell me what it is on the back of your card, or you can just check the box. But know this, that the staff and I and some of our prayer team, we will pray for you for whatever you're going. And it could be that your family needs some reconstructing, some fixing up. That's okay. You're in the right place. Next step D says, hey, I'd like to make a difference for the kids at the 4C Orphanage, so would you send me some opportunities to do that? And we want to just kind of tell you about what's going on there, a few bullet points, and if you want to be a part of what we're doing halfway around the world, um, just check this box and we can communicate with you. And the next step E says, I'd like to make it a priority to attend the next four weeks of Fixer Upper, where we unpack in practical ways how the journey that God has us on how it can be accomplished, and some of the tools God's given us to walk with him. So why don't you lay that Connect card aside. If you call our church home, I want to thank you for your uh, faithfulness to serve and to pray and to give at this church. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. There are folks who are going to come forward. If you're our guest, when the offering buckets come around, your gift to us is to put your Connect card in there. And let us pray with you and for you and communicate about your next steps. If you want to support the work we're doing in India, that's awesome. I thought you might enjoy a brief little treat from our trip about one year ago there. So for our guests and for folks who call us home, turn your eyes to the screen and then we'll pray. That room where we were singing in, that's the room that needs the roof replaced, as well as the kitchen on the back side. Hey, let's pray about our next steps on our offering, and then we're going to sing and celebrate our God just a little bit more. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for Jesus. God, I want to thank you for the fact that you are alive today, and you're making all things new. I pray, God, that we would not have eyes that only see the world around us, but you would give us in this moment spiritual sensitivity to have eyes to see the life you want to build through us. 
we confess, God, we do not have the power. We don't want to just be nice. We want to be made new. So I lift up all the men and women in this room right now who are declaring Jesus. Wash away my sins. I cannot save myself. I trust the work that you did on the cross and in the resurrection. I trust in that alone to make me your child and connect me to you. God, I pray for all the families and the marriages and the moms and dads and the kids in this room. This journey of life can be hard, Father, but your plans for us are so much more. I pray, God, that we'd be bold enough to take the steps we need to take to keep moving forward on the path that you have for us. Let us not get distracted. Let us not get weary in doing what is right. Let us keep pressing on so we can reap the harvest that you have for us. Father, I'd ask that you take our next steps and you would take this offering and you would help us to go farther than we could ever go on our own. I lift up the work that we're doing in India and those beautiful, amazing young ladies and young men. Thank you for the privilege of walking alongside them. And God, would you, over the next few weeks, as we walk through this Fix Your Upper Message series, God, would you build the life in us that you want us to have? I pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen and amen.